You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Isn't that true? We're waiting on the Lord. We're here in great expectation to receive of the Lord. That God would speak to each and every one of us in that relevant and personal kind of a way. Isn't that why you're here? I hope that none of you are here just because you're Christians and that's what Christians do. I hope that you've come with the expectation that God was going to speak to you. That he was going to put his hand on those areas of your life that needed to be treated, that needed to be addressed. That every one of us would leave here encouraged in our walk in our relationship with you. When you sit down to read the Bible, or when you go to attend church service, do you do so out of routine or obligation? One of the unfortunate mindsets that we as believers can get into is that we read the Bible or attend church because it's what we're supposed to do. However, as Pastor Mike will teach you in his message today, you should do these things with anticipation. In his study, you'll learn how reading and hearing God's Word is the perfect opportunity for God to speak into your life. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Faithfulness of a Friend. So Saul's suspicions, it seemed as if that night got the better of the king and in another fit of anger and rage sought to pin David to a wall with his spear. David evades the weapon, as I've already mentioned, and flees for his life. The book of Psalms, you know, uh, many of which have been written by David himself, was written out of David's own experiences. That is, his life's experiences. And the 59th Psalm is attributed to this particular uh, situation, this particular experience that David was going through when Saul sought to kill him, to take his life from him. So it was written out of this experience. So verses 1 through 5, the 59th Psalm. And we're going to come back to this at the conclusion of the message and and, uh, cover another couple of verses here. But I just wanted to begin by reading the first five verses. Again, out of David's own experience, Saul trying to take his life from him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. Can any of you, by the way, relate to this? I don't know if any of you you have experienced to this degree. Uh, They're bringing false accusations against you, whatever. They're trying to paint you in a very dim light, maybe at your place of employment, 
Unfortunately, it's a, it's a part of life's experience for many of us. He goes on, for look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Those who are in positions where they can do those kinds of things. Not for my transgressions, nor for my sin, O Lord. In other words, he was innocent. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake now, he cries out to God for help. Awake to help me, and behold. You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And so David, according to our text, now let's go back to our text, he went home to his wife, Michal, Saul's daughter. She too uh, shows her loyalty to David. Remember, that's one of the points that I wanted to emphasize, the loyalty of our friends. She becomes aware of the soldiers who have just now been sent by Saul, who are now to kill him. They've now surrounded their home. She thinks only of her husband's safety. And quickly, go back to verse 11, the latter part of that. And she counsels her husband and says, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So warning him. And then drawing on her ingenuity, Michal let David down through a window. Uh, They probably lived in a house that was built in the city wall. That was pretty common back then. And David made his escape without risking detection. So quite a hasty departure here. They really didn't know, that is David and his wife, if or when they would see one another again. But think about this. Ironically, this is the second time David's life was saved by a member of Saul's uh, household. First by Jonathan, his son, and then secondly by David's wife, Michal. Folks, that's what loyalty uh, looks like. Now, to give her husband ample time to escape, notice there in verses 13 and 14, Michal makes a lifelike representative of David sleeping in his bed. She tells the men after their arrival, who had been sent by the king, that he was sick and that he couldn't come out. Well, news was brought by those individuals sent by the king. They now go back to the king. And notice they rehearse all of what his daughter had uh, told them. And he demands that they bring him anyway, bed and all. And to their surprise, when they go a second time, they find this statue. It was probably an idol, dressed up, made to look like David. It was covered with a blanket lying on the bed. Notice there according to verse 16. Now Saul is incensed at his daughter's deception. And notice there in verse 17, she suggests that this whole thing was forced upon her. What does it say there in verse 17? He said to me in the latter part of it, David said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? You see that? So suggesting that David forced this whole thing upon her. And so once again, Michal's loyalty to David. Oh, may God surround us, friends, loved ones, who are loyal, whose hearts are knit together with ours, who help 
keep us from danger and destruction. Now again, remember, as I mentioned in my opening statement, as we move through this chapter, I want you to think about Jesus and the way that he provides for us, the way that he protects us, the way that he keeps us from danger and destruction. Now, let's pick up in this chapter, verses 18 through 24, the remainder of this chapter. Verse 18, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naioth, in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, okay, so this is the group that had been sent by Saul to take David, to kill him. And Samuel standing as leader over them, Notice what happened. Talk about God's intervention on behalf of his servant, David. We are told the Spirit of God came upon the messengers. Now, this is really interesting. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Wow, what's going on here? Well, I'll explain it in a moment. And when Saul was told, so they came back, all right, and told them what had just taken place. And so... When Saul was told, he sent another group of messengers, once again, to take David and kill him, and they also prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time. So a third group of people were dispatched, and what happened to them? And they prophesied also. Then he, that is Saul, also himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Sechu. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. And so he went there to Naioth in Ramah. And then notice, the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Okay, so let's go back now. Let me explain what's going on. So we are told here that David escapes to Samuel at Ramah. It was probably about three miles away. David shares his story with the prophet Samuel, who quickly carries David away to Naioth, where the school of the prophets was located. That's where the compound was. It was there David enjoyed a stimulating time of fellowship with the men of the seminary. It was a brief period for David of refreshment, designed by God to strengthen David for the trials that would continue to be thrusted upon him. Well, someone... From there, looking for the king's favor, let Saul know where David was being kept. And so what did he do? Well, he sent the first group of bodyguards to fetch him, to bring him back. However, that first entourage and the succeeding ones, remember there were three groups in all as well, became overpowered by the Spirit of God. And thus they were constrained. They joined the young men of the school in praising God. 
not accomplishing the king's evil deed. Okay, so let me explain what was going on. When, they, when all of a sudden they, they joined in with the rest of the seminarians in prophesying and praising God. So anyway, when these messengers had been dispatched by Saul, the king, to capture David, they came at a particular time. It was right in the middle of a worship meeting. And Samuel and his students were waiting on the Lord, even as we were waiting on the Lord this morning before I begin to share this morning's message with you. Isn't that true? We're waiting on the Lord. We're here in great expectation to receive of the Lord, that God would speak to each and every one of us in that relevant and personal kind of a way. Isn't that why you're here? I hope that none of you are here just because you're Christians and that's what Christians do. I hope that you've come with the expectation that God was going to speak to you, that he was going to put his hand on those areas of your life that needed to be treated, that needed to be addressed, that every one of us would leave here encouraged in our walk and our relationship with you, that we would be built up in our faith and our hope in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? Is there any other reason why we gather together on a Sunday morning? Well, anyway, these seminarians were worshiping the Lord. They were speaking to the Lord. And I hope that, you know, in the times of worship that you're speaking to the Lord as well. You know, it, it's sort of like an opportunity for us to express our love for God, for all that he's done as we sing these songs, as we're being led by our worship community. It's such an important part of our service. It's such an important part of our Christian experience to worship the Lord, right? And we're expressing our love for God, our, our gratitude how grateful we are for all of what God does for us, continually uh, does for us. So that's exactly what's going on here. That's the picture that's being painted for us here in this text. So they're worshiping him. They're speaking to the Lord. And guess what? Not only are they speaking to the Lord, but God is speaking to them as well, even as God, I trust, is speaking to you. And when it says that they were all prophesying, that's a little misleading. Don't misunderstand. It isn't that they were all predicting the future. The Hebrew word simply has the idea of speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so they probably all gave a spontaneous and inspired praise to God. They had become overpowered by the Spirit, overwhelmed by the Spirit. And rather than thinking about the occupation of taking David captive, they entered in and all of a sudden they begin to worship God as well, you see. They forgot probably the reasons that they had been sent there in the first place. They were caught up in the atmosphere of worship and devotion to God. Now, no doubt, this was an unusual work of the Spirit, right? Because after all, to come upon men, that is for the Spirit of God to come upon these men who did not seek after God, who did not long to be filled with the Spirit, that's not the reason why they were there. So what's this all about? Well, this is a very unique experience. But you see, God did this to protect David. See, this was simply God's way of disarming them. But it was also God's way of saying, I don't want David captured, you see. Oh, man, God's intervention. You know, how many times, you know, if given the opportunity, I bet you every one of us can stand and talk about the intervention of God in our life's experience. God, our friend, who sticks closer to us than a brother. Oh, how wonderful is our God. Isn't that true? Amen. So anyway, let's go back to our text. 
Well, each time, three times, the news was brought back to the king of what had happened. So all three of these companies, had, they fell upon all of them. You know, they just got caught up in the atmosphere of worship, and they forgot about the reasons why they were sent there in the first place. Now, and so all of the news had been brought back to Saul. They explained what was going on and, and uh, three times. Now, Saul, okay, instead of being warned by this divine intervention, which he should have been, and the threefold failure of his plans, what does he do? He decides to go himself. He's thinking what they couldn't do, I will. I'll get the job done. And you see, the king is so hardened to the will of God, he did not go back from following through with his murderous plot in spite of God's evident protection of David. This should have been so obvious to Saul that God was intervening on David's part. And then notice in verse 22, let's go to the text. That Ramah, he inquired of Samuel and David's whereabouts. He's directed to the school of the prophets. And just as he thought, now I got him exactly where I want him, Soon I'll have him in my hands. What happens? He is also overpowered by the Spirit. He's overwhelmed. And he begins to tell forth the praises of God as he is walking up the hill to the prophet's compound. Verse 24. As he reaches the summit, overwhelmed by the Spirit, what does he do? He strips off his armor and falls to the ground on his face, where he remains for the entire day, day and night, which gives David, once again, more than ample time to escape. Do you see this? Oh, the protection of the Lord. Now, a couple of cross-references, several reminders of what God did in David's life. He will also do for any of us. For example, Romans chapter 8, we are told, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 54 and verse 17, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And remember, I said that in closing, I was going to take you back to the 59th Psalm. So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. But in the 59th Psalm, verses 14 through 17, let's read that. And at evening return, you know, once again, the enemy comes against us. They're not willing to give up. It seems like they're dogging us, right? And at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl. They are not satisfied, but I will sing of your power. You know, in the midst of this, is this your testimony as well? When your enemies rise up against you? Are you totally dependent upon the Lord, trusting in God to defend you, to provide for you? And in that moment, can you sing the praises of God, not be affected by your particular situation? Notice there in verse 16, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For my God is my defense, my God of mercy, and might, might I add, may I take the liberty and say, my God is my friend. Listen, talking about 
the faithfulness of a friend. A friend who sticks closer to us than a brother. You know, Paul reminds us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 in verse 5, we've already firmly established the fact that he's a friend who sticks closer to us than a brother. But Paul also reminds us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 in verse 5 of what God says concerning his children, and that's who you are. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we close out this message, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you know Jesus as your friend? This friendship that can exist between yourself and Jesus begins when you first ask him to be your Savior and your Lord. And how's that? How does that work? Well, first of all, it begins by recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And listen, that's one of the most difficult hurdles to overcome for any individual. Because, you know, we think that we're okay, that we don't need a Savior, that we really don't need help, that we're basically a pretty good uh, person. But this is where it all begins. This is where friendship with God begins. That is humbling ourselves, humbly coming before God and asking Him for His uh, help. Recognizing and acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner in need of His forgiveness of your sin. So that's where this whole thing uh, begins. Asking Him to forgive you of your uh, sins. And then choosing to yourself to Him and live a different life based on the instructions of the Bible. You know what that's called? It's called repentance. The word repentance means simply turning from, turning from ways, your old lifestyle, and now just committing yourself to the instruction of God's word as is recorded in the repenting of our sin. And listen, if you do, he will not only become Savior and your Lord, but he will also become your friend. And listen, I don't know, I know basically, everyone that's here uh, in our facility, but I don't know who's watching us online. I don't know if uh, those that are watching online has ever made a decision, never invited Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life, and therefore develop and begin this new friendship with God. Well, if you never have before, would you make that decision? Won't you make it right now? Don't hesitate. Right now, your heart is softened to the gospel. Don't put it off. The Bible tells us that when our hearts are often reproved, when we're given those opportunities to repent of our sins and invite Christ to come, if we don't take advantage of those opportunities, our hearts become, become more hardened. And there may come a time when you'll never make that choice and decision for Christ. But right now, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And if you'll hear his voice and open that door, he'll come in and he'll sup with you you'll begin to experience in that special, intimate time of fellowship and communion with Him. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be oh, That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. If you've missed any part of this message, you'll find it online at harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Venezio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. 
As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can connect with us. We want to hear from you. If you've been listening for months or even the first time today, let us know. Have you been blessed by a teaching here on In My Father's House? Have you been able to share what you've learned with someone else? We want to hear your story. It's such an encouragement and brings us great joy to know how this program is blessing our listeners. So please, let us know you've been tuning in. You can send us a message right from our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and click on Contact. You'll find a form to fill out and we'll connect with you as soon as possible. You can also let us know you've been listening by sending an email to harvestnyc at verizon.net. Please feel free to share your prayer request too. We'd be honored to join you in seeking God's direction in your life. Again, just email harvestnyc at verizon.net. If you're listening to our broadcast and aren't in the Manhattan area, We'd like to invite you to join our weekly worship services live on our website. We stream our gatherings on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more and connect at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. Join Pastor Mike next time for another edition of In My Father's House. (laughs) 